Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, an unofficial podcast on the FX television series. Fargo Talks Fargo is hosted by me, Bill, and my buddy Sharpie. This season of Fargo Talks Fargo is sponsored by the Fargo Brewing Company and their Wood Chipper IPA. Also, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Tune in later to find out more about how you can get a free Audible.com trial because it's awesome and listening to books is the way to go. Boom. Here we are, Sharpie. I like this. Hot dish books. one down. Hot dish one is down. Yep. Whole episode thing is down. And today we had an emergency substitution because Joe Riley got himself the sickness. Yep. Standing Poor Joe in. Riley. Yep. Standing in from last season. Once again, from the forum of Fargo Moorhead, John Lamb. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, Podcast Nation. My favorite part is that he just waved. <laughs> I, exactly. I've not only got a face for you, I've got a mind for it. Oh, it's pretty epic. It's pretty epic. I like it. I don't care. So, Sharpie, you've slept on it. What do you think? Yep. I've slept on it. I think we've got all kinds of good stuff to talk about today. <laughs> that was your lead? Like, yep. <laughs> yep, it's it's a thing. I Doing slept that, yeah. right on it. I bet you did. Well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like lay the groundwork for these people here. So obviously, okay. if you haven't started watching this show, turn this off because we're going to talk about stuff. Are, are, we get, are we gonna have spoilers? Yeah, there could be. There might be some spoilers. There could Let's be. Start some with spoilers. the Coen Brothers. Now that the hot dish is out. Um, this is our full recap of the episode, so you're in for you're in for the long haul now. Um, we're gonna dissect the show. We're gonna say what we think. We're gonna maybe give some predictions. Um, we're just gonna shoot the shit. So let's set That's up. Uh, let's set up the time period. Uh, we're going back to 1979. Mm, what a year! You weren't even <laughs> born. So you would have been about just coming out of college, 1979, right? <laughs> so why don't you hey, tell don't us? A- <laughs> why don't you tell us about the era? Are you talking about me or John? Because John's talking about older Bill. than me. Oh, well, I was three, so lay off me. I was running the Reagan campaign. <laughs> we were waiting for Dutch to come. Mm. So 1979 was a big, uh, big year for science fiction. Uh, we know that. Um, Star Trek, the motion picture, came out in 1979. That was a big deal. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Oh. Star Trek, the motion picture. Came out Con! 10 years after. Well, that, that wasn't Con. The yeah, I, know, I just series. wanted to say Con. But that Star Trek sucked. Well, that's besides the point. No, well, okay, well. A lot of shit <laughs> It was a big in. year for sucking, then. A lot of stuff yeah. sucked. Well, you know, it didn't, yeah. you know, it didn't gas suck. Gas sucked. <laughs> big cars sucked gas. Alien. Alien came out in 1979. That didn't suck. True. Uh, Mad Max. That didn't Did suck. not suck. <laughs> I feel like right now you've just got one of those bookmarks that says, you were born in this year. Here's the fun I facts. think someone's looking at the 1979 Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the Farmer's Almanac or something? Yeah, what's going on? All right, jerk off. You just really like, set, you like setting the scene. I, I All right, appreciate take that. The, take the show, Bill. I'm just kidding. No, no, keep going. We're, let's, talk, let's talk about music. Sure. Uh, one of the most popular songs of the year. Um, you guys might have heard of it. YMCA. By the village people. Oof. We also have Hot Stuff and I Will Survive. Classics. Disco. I'm glad we're not hearing any of that in the show, to be honest. That would be not yet. I don't think I don't think Jeff Russo would let that happen. I don't know. We we've we've heard already more kind of uh, vintage soundtrack stuff than we've heard in the first season. I think, yeah. And I think in the in the trailers we're hearing uh what Dr. John right right place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. I think they you know they're 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 obviously they're trying to set it in a time period. So yeah, he's like, setting tone. T- 
tone. Tone more than era. Visually, though, they're definitely going for the era stuff. Right. So we open with that uh, That introduction is pretty, <laughs> was kind of fun. I hope they continue that split screen storytelling because I think it could be really interesting to sort of see some, you know, complete 180 degree visuals of of scenes like where you're you're taking you're giving two perspectives of the same scene i think that could be really interesting maybe later on or hopefully it is um mm-hmm. maybe we'll see you know you can you can see something happening in the background that the main character wouldn't see or, or your main perspective wouldn't see i think that could could be pretty cool if it's played that way and if it's not it's just kind of a fun thing yeah and the massacre at two falls was pretty interesting as well yeah so we'll we'll kind of break down the show um Basically, chronologically, in accordance to the way the show played out, I suppose. We start off with a scene from a fictitious Ronald Reagan movie being filmed, um, The Massacre at Sioux Falls. Of a fictitious war. A fictitious uh, event, I believe, too. Uh, Well, there was an actual uh, massacre of Sioux Indians in that area about a hundred years oh. prior, which it could be a reference to that. Um, okay. It in back uh, in history, it kind of gets glossed over because it was around the civil war period. So, you know, the killing of 350 native Americans just didn't really seem like that big of a deal when 10,000 people died that day in the civil war. So I think it kind of gets glossed over, but in that very region, there actually was a Sioux Indian or native American rather massacre, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe perhaps it's a reference to that. I don't know. What what we do know is that it wasn't a real Ronald Reagan movie. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But a great and, kickoff and, to the season. And for whatever it's worth, we were just kind of nitpicking around and stuff. And it was like in 79, Reagan wasn't. Obviously, it was uh, black and white, so it definitely wasn't 79. But I don't know. Maybe I think they're just trying to intro the character of Ron. Good old Ronnie to us. Dutch. <laughs> That's about it, I think. Yeah, that could be. So after we get our our little deal, we end up uh, at the typewriter store scene at Carriage Typewriters, right? That's right. We're at Carriage Typewriters. The grand reopening with the store that seems to have all their windows kind of... <laughs> I was trying to decide, are they are they blocked over like with soapy stuff so people can't see before their grand reopening? Or is that are they doing the uh, frosting or are they just... Maybe it was just as part of production they had to do that because they couldn't stop cars from like 2,000 driving down the street. <laughs> so do we, is Carriage Typewriters, do we know what town that is? Are we in Laverne when we're at Carriage Typewriters? Or does That's it, what I don't is, know. Well, I don't even know, were we in Rever- Laverne when we meet the Gerhardt brothers? You know, I, th- I think that that hasn't been established either, exactly where we were, because that's when they, they're waiting for, for little Gerhardt to show up. Or did that right. show Sioux Falls? Did they say there was, like, the, the stuff across the screen? I don't know. You know, you might be right. That might be Sioux Falls. It might have said. I, 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 don't, I don't know where they were, and I have to say, I didn't know who they were. I didn't realize that that was Tate Donovan. And I thought that looked like a Culkin, and it turns out, yes, it was Kieran Culkin. That wasn't Tate Donovan, though. Who is it? Uh, it's, oh, Sharpie, help me out on his name. We talked about him last time. Um, he's from Burn Notice. Do you have your IMDb pulled up, bro? Are you talking about Dodd Gerhardt? Yeah. Uh, the tough one. Jeffrey Donovan? Yeah. Yeah. Close. Okay. Close, but wrong. 
close, but totally wrong. Totally wrong. Yep. So we see them, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if we know exactly where they are. We do know that the Gearheart compound is in Fargo. It seems like it, or somewhere outside of Fargo. Well, to us, it would look like outside of Fargo, but I think they're saying it's in Fargo. Yeah, well, they operate out of Fargo. I, well, there's, we'll come, there's we at least no them. mountains like there are in uh, other North Dakota depictions and yeah. <laughs> other TV shows that won't be named Blood mm-hmm. and Oil. <laughs> we also, yeah, we also definitely learn though that um, that Rye has got a bit of a a chip on his shoulder, a little little man syndrome or something. Definitely you know, some little man syndrome going on. Yeah, definitely. Do you think there's a little bit of Lester in that little man syndrome? Because Lester kind of had that too, where he felt like he had to prove himself quite often and then just ended up getting himself in more trouble. I thought it seemed like he was really kind of channeling Steve Buscemi. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's like, I, you know, he's got something to prove all I, the time. I thought in this whole episode, not to jump ahead, but there's a lot of homages to the movie Fargo. And there's a lot of tributes to the first season. So I, I think in this case, this was one of the, for me, it was one of the homages to uh, to the to the movie. There's some of that, definitely going on. I just I I can't remember exactly the line, but uh, when he talks to him about you know, still wearing the short pants. I yeah, just, I love the way that sounded and how off putting it was. You know, like you're just you you're in little britches. What does he call him? He says that you're the, the you're the cartoon that comes with gum. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's the very comic dismissive. in the yeah. in the bubblegum wrapper. Comic. So, but we basically find out here why the, the, it sets Rye on a mission to to seek out uh, this judge that uh, uh, in the hot disc Sharpie was like, man, she just seems so Cusacky. And yeah. She out. sounds like she sounds like uh, she sounded exactly like Joan Cusack. Well, that's what I said. It's, yeah, it's because it's Anne Cusack. Cusack yep. Uh, thanks to Antsman Forty One who uh, follows us on Twitter for giving us the point out to that. You know because. You know, sometimes when we record the hot dish, using IMDb simultaneously is too hard for Sharpie and I. It is. <laughs> I was scrambling during that whole time trying to do research, and sometimes you just can't yeah. get it off in the hot dish. That's what the hot dish is for, though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... He, he seems like he's got a lot to prove, and I think that's where the wrench and numbers type S thing came in. And uh, I had it tweeted, and Jeff Russo responded about that, that, that it definitely was that. And I thought, he wants to be pretty badass, but he's not. Yep, Jeff Russo, well, the composer of Fargo. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for the shout out on Twitter. There, that was yeah. an awesome confirmation. Yeah, that was fun. So we get into this tailgating of the judge, um, which is kind of a cool montage because it's sort of like a it's a long tailgate. I mean, he starts probably from you know four or five o'clock, and he follows her through the night uh, to the diner. And mm-hmm. I thought there was a in Laverne. So uh, even uh, aside from the cool Wrench and Numbers-esque uh, soundtrack that's that's playing there. We go into a song by Billy Thorpe, Children of the Sun. And the only reason why I thought that was kind of interesting uh, will come in a little bit later. Um, but the lyrics are kind of cool where Billy Thorpe is singing about people of the earth, can you hear me, Comes from come, came a voice from the sky on that magical night. Uh, which could be maybe a, a little tiny bit of foreshadowing to that UFO scene. Um, <laughs> I'm then, not sure, and, but it was pretty interesting yeah, to they, me. They should look that up. We'll put. Uh, I'll do my best to make sure I put a link to that in the show notes if you want to go check that out. And then it's a decent also, song. Didn't, well, there's also a line in there: the setting fire to the sky, and I was like, 
I did make my con- fire in the sky comment somewhere. Or did you? I don't remember. Yeah, we we commented on fire in the sky in the hot dish uh, yeah. prior to this episode of Fargo Talks Fargo. So that's kind of interesting that we came upon that. Yeah. Once we got into I the deep too, dive, I think too that um, we we mentioned uh, for just going forward. Last year there was a lot of back and forth, Bemidji, Duluth, all this. Just if you're from the area, just zip it. We know you can't get from those towns to those other towns that fast, but if you could, it would be a pretty boring TV show. So they just got to get there. It's not important. It's a sacrifice to make. Absolutely. It's a small sacrifice to make. Yeah. yeah. But we, we landed the Waffle Hut. And yep. I... Sister Restaurant I to everything. Pancake's House. I I love it. And I think... The part I loved the most, I just felt like there was a, a rhythm to the whole thing as he walked in, switched the seat, went over to see her, the witty dialogue. I mean, did you? was there something that struck you mo- a lot about that scene? Because I thought it was the most, like, firing off, like, what's you, happening. You, you know something's going to happen, and I think, again, that's where this kind of nod to the Coen brothers, where he's sitting at the counter, and each time the waitress comes over and, and offers to do something, freshen up his thing, or ask him if he wants creamer or salt or, or rather sugar or whatever, you know, he gets really agitated. And again, it's kind of like a, the Steve Buscemi, but then it's also like th- there's that sense of humor in there, that, like how uncomfortable he is, because he also just took a, like, he would, took a big snort of Coke. He's all coked up and he's nervous and he's going to try to prove himself a man and uh, set it right. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. doesn't pan out very well for little Rye. Yeah. I like that too. I think you're really spot on with that just about, and, and it's also just this tie to service around here. Sometimes in the Midwest can be a little overly nice. Like she she certainly was like a very Midwestern, you know, the, the chipper kind of, uh, you know, everything just being right on it. Drop your food off, and before you've even got it into your mouth, they're like, oh, how's it how's, going? How's, how's the it, first bite then? How's the first bite? Yeah. 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 Okay. How's that hot dish? <laughs> Sorry, servers. <laughs> Don't do that out there. So we meet, uh, we finally get Rye face-to-face with the judge. The very Cusacky judge. and uh, <laughs> Who happens to be actually Cusacky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rye... Basically tries to boss her around, get her to change her mind on some of these rulings she's made, uh, you know, with the carriage typewriter guy. And she goes into this story about uh, the devil and and God and and making a bet, where the devil wants to bet God that he can make a man curse his name, and so they decide uh, to use Job as their plaything. And the devil goes into uh, killing all of Job's herds and whatnot, and plaguing him with boils and and still it doesn't change his mind so i think that was kind of interesting and i've i've read a few people a few articles about this and it i don't think we have to go into it too much but it what was kind of interesting is that people were saying that rye doesn't really understand the moral of the story because rye's putting himself in job's position because he why would he put himself in satan's position so he's not really understanding what she's saying and i think that is probably what the audience thought as well, um, and perhaps it, and perhaps the judge is even putting herself in Job's position. I've I've read that argument as well, um, but even though, you know, mm. do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think I understand what you're saying. That's but I think why she also, he wasn't I understanding she, what she was saying. I think he's just a little dumb, 
like she says, oh, you're dim. You're, you're dumb. You're dim. And I think she thinks herself pretty big, but she's unfortunately, for her sake, because I would have loved to hear more witty lines from her, I yeah. think she's underestimated his, he's so dim that it's just going to, it's going to end poorly for her, or it does end poorly for her. And so it does. Yeah. Plus, gob and magic. Magic. Sorry. <laughs> so, Rai puts an end to her, uh, shoots her down. Out comes the star athlete, Cook, in the back. Um, he gets shot dead. Um, mm-hmm. And that was interesting, too. That goes into slow motion. That's something we haven't seen before, have we? I don't think we did see any, like, big-time slow motion or anything. Like I, like I talked about on the Hot Dish, John, I don't know if you heard it. Of course you heard it, because you love our show. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> that it was just that door was like a TikTok pendulum-y thing, and that every swing of that brought Amped, it amps up the tension without yeah. having to blatantly do it. I just thought it was shot really well and fun. Although I really, really still, upon a second watching, wanted Rye to just get slammed in the face with that frying pan. <laughs> well, he does get hit. Yeah. He takes a knife to the back, takes a steak yes. knife. Mm. And that was, I think, you know, out of the, the there's, there's three murders in that scene. Uh, and that, in a way, was, to me, the most cringeworthy when he's trying to pull the knife out. Oh, I know. And you're like, can you reach it? Can you reach it? Can you reach it? And you're like, oh, God. It's interesting Oops. that the judge, you know, even went for that stab move because she could have just laid there. Um, but it shows her character, you know, how she's it's super justice. tough. Justice. Yep. She, will not let, she will not let that stand. Yep. This aggression will not stand, man. That's there right. Goes. I probably said that last season, too. But I say <laughs> that actually at least once a month to somebody somewhere. I, I got to. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me that a judge would try to do what they perceive to be the right thing versus self-preservation. Uh, you know, live up to the, uh, the you know, to deliver justice. Sure. Over. I, I just even as short as her thing was, she just the character has the uh, judge, jury, and executioner mm-hmm. vibe about her. Yeah. yeah. Which contradicts, you know, the the waitress's reaction because she also made it through that first round and then right. ran. <laughs> right. Which again, Which exactly a nice what homage. I would do. A nice homage to to not only to the Coens, but now we in each in, in the opening series almost of each the movie, the first season and this season, we see somebody running off into the snow, being yes. shot in the back. Yes. Um, well, actually, in the in the first one, he didn't get necessarily shot; he froze, to, froze death, right? to death. But 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 you see this this disabled uh, person who's been hurt by by the Lauren Melvo and. Lauren Malvo and, and then the uh, uh, Steve Buscemi and and uh, Gare, and, yep, Gare, uh, and then in, in yeah, and then in this one, this the the the, the poor waitress who gets shot, uh, she tries to make a run for it, and he has to go out into the snow and shoot. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I thought that that was a nice homage to Fargo. I'm not sure if that was intended to me. That seemed mm-hmm. like a, uh, I, 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 in a way, I kind of believe that you have to notice that, but. Yeah, so that would yeah, be interesting. For season three, we should look forward to that <laughs> shot in the back in the snow scene. Because as far as I know right now, there better be a season three, because I already feel amped about season two. You, have, you can't just do one, two. You have to at yeah. least do three. Trifecta. That's the rule, I'm pretty sure they say. So, uh, waitress dies, and plus, you have to kill somebody outside in the snow, because it makes for an incredible uh, image of just red mm-hmm. on white purity and the, the yeah but um 
So, uh, UFO, huh? Now we're getting into the good stuff. Okay, then. Yeah, so we see Rye, um, after he painstakingly reloads that revolver and puts that final round in the waitress, he runs out to the road because he's drawn there by some interesting lights. And when you see those lights, you're kind of like, you're you're kind of expecting a visitor, uh, not in the sense that we eventually get, but, you know, somebody's coming to the diner, those must be headlights, Whatever. I thought it was uh, like somebody coming through the woods for a minute. Snowmobile. Like on a snowmobile. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. or, or was it a plane coming in low or something like that? No. Get to the chopper. Something along that line. It turns but out no. it is indeed an unidentified flying object as far as we're concerned. We have not <laughs> identified it. Yeah. We- and while, uh, while, while he's staring blankly into the sky, as Sharpie called her in our show notes, Peggy Numbnuts. <laughs> I have to say that because it's funny. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, she totally like, we don't nails know, him with the car. But at first, we don't, we we don't, don't know, know that. that. We don't, we don't, yeah. You see him get hit by a car. But wheel. everybody listening knows. Yeah, yeah, because you've seen the show. <laughs> They've seen the show. But uh, I, I did find uh, and see somewhere about the Val Johnson incident. Um, and it was north, kind of up by Stephen. But back in 79, there was a uh, a, a guy... Who, not a guy, but it, it's an alleged like UFO encounter uh, in Marshall County, Minnesota by Sheriff Val Johnson. And um, according to Wikipedia, so look it up, the Val Johnson incident, uh, there was a beam of light and, and it, he, it messed up his cruiser on the road and all sorts of stuff. But uh, the guy actually had a uh, appearance on ABC's Good Morning America program about it and Cause he and his family all sorts of emotional strain and stuff. But so, hey, just so you know, there's UFOs here. Don't even make me tell the story about when I saw one. So that's a whole other topic for a whole other show. But uh, yeah, don't ask Limpy about his probe. Oh, that's where we're at. But uh, so we, you know, we we make wild speculations every year. Uh, we look at strange stuff. So I'm going to play a clip here of when Rye gets. Uh, you know, pummeled by the car. Yikes. Yeah, not so good. And here's the dinging that Sharpie and I wanted to talk about. So let's just take mental note of that, and we'll come back to it later. Yeah, we're noticing a little bit of a theme uh, surrounding Peggy Numbnuts. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 just to go further conspiracy theory, which absolutely has nothing to do with anything, I, yell, I told Sharpie, I said, holy cow, look, there are six Vs in the parking lot. V for visitors, the lights look like Vs, mm-hmm. and there's six of them, because there's always a lot of sixes that come up. Eh? And that's What's our paranoia. The, uh, yes. And then there's some kind of a sign, some kind of a human figure... On a big sign in the background somewhere, and that they could, uh, they look at that later, shows up later. Kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if that leads into anything, but again, kind of a nice, uh, nice Midwestern uh, 70s, 80s. Yeah, nice little touch. So the UFO mm-hmm. thing, I don't know if we're gonna see any more of this. Um, I'm expecting to uh, not see any more of it. I think this was just kind of a fun thing that's in there to represent. No. You disagree? I, I didn't. 
I didn't know. I mean, I don't know if I disagree because then I'll just give the caveat that I didn't read it, but I saw a couple people commenting that there was an interview with Noah Hawley who said that part will get wrapped up or will come to light somehow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Unless um, I'm crazy. Please, oh, please feel free to dig me for it. Well, though, later. keep in mind, too, that he had just, that uh, little Gerhard there had just taken a uh, a pretty strong bump of Coke. Mm. And bug spray to the face. And bug spray to the face. He may not be in the right frame of mind. <laughs> <laughs> He's all hopped up on goofballs. I need to get some of that oh. bug spray. <laughs> Sharpie's out of gold paint. Hey, you guys want to come over? I got a can of bust. Is that what it was? Bust? That's what it was. Bust. Bust. Yeah. Well, if it does was... come back, then cool. If it doesn't, I'm totally happy with it exactly the way it is because I think those types of little fun things are important. Um, I think they don't have to always come back around. I think the UFO thing represents a paranoia that's sort of surrounding the time period, you know, coming out of Vietnam and coming out of Watergate where every where up is down and down is up and whatever's going on. Like people are very uncertain about, you know, current events and, and the things that are going on in the world. And I think the UFO, especially being that there were a lot of UFO sightings at the time, sci-fi is getting big in the, in motion pictures and pop culture. I think that it's just a representation of, of the time period. So I'm fine if it doesn't come back. If it does, then that will be fun too. It could just be karmic deity takes rise life as a final fuck you. Yep. So there you have it. There you have it. <laughs> Here we are. Now, we we move from this, um, and I found something real quick, because we don't have to go super deep dive. These are just things we're noticing, because this, this show is when they just basically unpack everything for us and start letting us see what they've got, but... Uh, Lou, we meet Lou, younger Lou, younger Lou, younger Lou reading to a young Molly Solverson. And I told Sharpie I had to look it up because uh, I'm always thinking, well, what's he reading? He's reading uh, The Five Little Peppers. And Five Little Peppers was a super old book from way, way back in the day uh, from like 1881 to 1916. Feel free to Wikipedia this. Wikipedia is all of our friends, but they describe the little, the little, um, pepper books if you if you look it up they all give like a very similar description about what it was the peppers who were poor were trying to do and um one of the things they are always trying to do is keep the wolf from the door which i thought was i feel is a pretty big throwback to lauren melvo the wolf that so even even as a youngster to keep the wolf from the door but um in an old in in Back in those days, keeping the wolf from the door was basically keeping yourself warm and fed uh, for poor people. So there you go. There's that fun little. Yeah, you say you do, we don't have to do deep dives, but I think that's a pretty good deep dive find. Bill. Yeah, I felt I felt so deep. If you're interested in reading the page that is actually being read in in the show, it's page sixty-seven from that book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like you'd yeah. want to, but no big whoop. No big. And whoop. some of those books are yeah. Some of those books are on the Guggenheim Project, so you can actually open them up and look at them. Anyway, there was some other stuff I, I found about that, but I don't think we need to get into that now. We'll just just take the mental note that I'm coming back to that because who knows? Maybe he'll be reading these pepper books on and off all season with all sorts of little nuggets in there. Yeah, there could be nuggets. Um, yeah, we like nugs. Mm-hmm. And speaking of nugs, here's one. Um, maybe again, I'm going too far into things, but on the Salverson's fridge, there is a drawing, like from a coloring book, of a sheep 
and that sheep is wearing an orange sweater, very similar to Lester's orange jacket, which I thought oh. was kind of interesting. And, and Lester was kind of a a Oops. sheep, if you will, uh, was you know being herded around by more powerful characters in the last season. Right. Just a little tidbit. Don't know if it really yeah. means anything. Don't know if it was on purpose or if I'm just like creating my own s- symbolism. But let's keep that up. Yeah. Um, we cut back to the diner, and uh, because uh, Lou gets called away, and and I mean, basically, this brings us back here. It gives us the first taste of uh, how what kind of detective he is, or what kind of sheriff he is. Um, well, not only that, but we get to we are introduced to the Ted Danson character. Yes, That's right, Hank Larson. Hank. And what what I think is what's his first line? This, this, this is a deal. This, this is a deal. No, this is a deal, isn't it? This is a Something deal. like yeah. that. Yeah. And I love that. So again, you know, there's this kind of, and again, the way with to the first one with Marge to the movie Marge and the and her her I can't remember who was his name. Who her husband? No, no, no. Marge and her who was oh, this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's escaping me. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. But anyway, but so yeah, but not only with the heck of a deal or this is a deal, but then you know also this, they're standing there again. You're winter, obviously, so they are going to be fully dressed in their in their their gear but yeah and yeah. everybody's got the sorel boots kind yeah. of thing going on i think too it's just i i i'm gonna bring this back up really briefly in a little bit here but the the matter of factness of it though oh this is a deal um i think that's always the interesting part about the way they portray the midwest in in this show about how they would deal with death i mean i know it's a professional thing but they act like they don't see it ever but you know what i think it is i think it's um it's there these two characters uh well we learn later on that Lou was in Vietnam so mm-hmm. he's seen much worse than this it's recent he's hardened this is nothing compared to the things he's seen and well we, that's what I was going to yeah okay. say so we and we don't know about Hank yet but he's definitely of the age where you know he quite possibly could Cur- have been the Korean, Korean war. war yeah um yeah. he's probably a little young for world war 2 um, but like maybe it's possible. And I think also it's the, the Midwestern sense of that. You feel like you should say something. You don't know what you say. Oh, yeah. So you say something totally inoffensive and that doesn't really say anything, mm-hmm. but in not saying anything. Yeah, you're right. There is, there's, there's, um, you know, the, I suppose, oh, or, yeah. well, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, okay. The, 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 yeah. It's, okay. It's, then. Okay. Then it's the, it's the kind of the way to, to transfer, to move it forward just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. I mean, so that in that sense, that that type of dialogue does make a lot more sense to me. But sometimes, until somebody points out the way we live, I uh, I don't realize it. Yeah. So that and we get some fun, uh, some fun little quips between those two. I mean, we know that Hank is is Lou's father-in-law, and they're both concerned about Lou's wife, Hank's daughter, who we learn has cancer. Yes. Um, so we we get a very, you know, a very Midwestern father son sort of a bit cold conversation, but yet an attempt to it's it's sort of the man way to talk about your feelings, I guess. Um, and and they do it through the daughter, right? Like through his through through Hank's daughter. It's the way they are able to like they are unable to completely talk directly to each other, but they can start conversations that. That his wife, who by the way is Ted Mosby's wife, in uh, in the uh, in the thing, 
She's in the Wolf of Wall Street too, isn't that the wife in the Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, the actress's name. Uh, Melody, Christina Melody. Yeah, Christina Christ- Melody. That's why. But it was the other thing too about the thing that I loved about that scene is that while they are talking about the daughter, they they somehow the way they talk about her is really about food, and that she has been making these meals out of these index cards she sent away for something she saw on TV. The index cards, and I don't know if you guys remember this. I remember this mm-hmm. seeing these commercials for that again. It really. They, they've done their research in the 70s. Obviously, they lived through it. Yeah. But a really nice touch there to, to the time and to that kind of phenomenon of, oh, if it's on Ronco, well, let's try it. Yeah, period correctness about what was actually happening. Yeah, Especially absolutely here. spot on. I mean, how many times you, you growing up did any of your mothers, um, you would look in her recipe box and there was a whole bunch of handwritten ones, but somewhere it was smattered throughout them were some sort of cards that came in some sort of mail thing. Or a magazine. Or yeah. a magazine or cut off out of the back well just that, that exactly that there was that there was the the recipe box yeah and that they were on index cards but they had the dotted line like cut yeah. this out oh yeah and uh when they're talking about that hank says something which i thought was pretty great where he says he just uh, he, he, he describes the delicacies of the world you know food that she's preparing as variety and i thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> it's like oh so you like you know variety uh, and I thought that was interesting because a lot of the food in the Midwest is the exact opposite of that. It's pretty much all white, uh, a lot of cream, a lot of potatoes. Well, because what she, she's, they talk, they talk about what, the souffle? Was it a souffle yeah, that souffle, she brings to the yeah, table? She, and she and set she it on fire. Lights a perfectly good. Casserole. <laughs> casserole on fire. Perfectly good casserole on fire. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, I know Sharpie had made the note that, because I, I get into numbers that they, there was the dinner was at six the next night, right? You guys are really honing in on the six o'clock. Six dinner p. was at six. six. Mm-hmm. Just stick around. All we'll right. see what happens. Right. Plus, like I said, we love conspiracy theories that never come around. It's the first episode we're latching on to absolutely everything. Because nobody else <laughs> eats at six. <laughs> That's just unheard of in the Midwest. We're officially doing to eat at six on Sunday. No, well, okay, wait. We got to back. Oh, wait. Did we miss the part where? Nope, we're not there yet. It's not coming. There. It's coming. They go outside. Coming. Nope, it's coming. So there were six lights in the parking lot, and it's six o'clock for the thing. And anyway, so we go to the butcher <laughs> shop, and Bud's Meats, and uh, Ed Blomquist. Um, so yeah, we have the whole okay then thing, um, and they have their just general okay then conversation by and all that. But um, on the cash register, the prices that's still rung up is six. 69 and 9 is just upside down. <laughs> 6 and 666, we all know what that's 69 for. means something to some other people. Yeah, 6 times 16. Um, what? So anyway, that's where I'm tying all this dumb shit together. Even though it's like the chance of having a 6 in something is what, 1 in 10? <laughs> one, yeah, whatever, I can't stop myself. As we move into the exterior shot right before we get introduced uh, into Bud's Meats and Ed Blomquist, we see an exterior shot of the, I don't know, downtown Laverne, maybe it's supposed to be. Is that where the the butcher shop is? That's in Laverne? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, when John, John was just uh, tapping me because he realized we, we forgot to mention one thing that you and I have discussed was the- uh, The shoe in the, the tree. The shoe in the tree. Oh, yeah. The shoe in the tree? That. But I thought that, again, you know, it's kind of another nice, you know, even not maybe a hint to the Coens- but that kind of oddity, yeah, it's and an and odd- that oddity and that subtle, 
kind of delivery. It's the yeah, it's the delivery and the tone of comments like that that feel Cohen Cohen worldish. And I think like in the in the trailers or in the clips, they, they I think Ted Danson says something like, "Should we get that down?" And I don't know, did he say that in the actual? He show? did say, it. "I don't know." He did. Okay. He did. Okay. Um, it wasn't. I think it was kind of glossed over a little bit. Whereas in the trailers, it was sort of like a major line. Um, but yeah, I believe he did say it. And that's that shoe's gonna obviously be super important. That's um clearly Rye's shoe that flew off of his foot when he got rocked by Peggy Numbnuts. Um so that what's gonna what's what's awesome about that, and I hope that comes into play in the next episode, but it might take a little longer than that. That's obviously is what what's gonna tie um the detectives back to the Gerhardt family. Are you guys placing bets then that Peggy's uh, license plate number has a six in it? There was. (laughs) (laughs) I got a little wrapped up on the license plate thing last year, and it turned out to not be shit. But, um, but either way, it it's still fun getting started. I I can't. I feel like we have to just. We have so much we have to go through still. We've already been doing this. I mean, that's that's what they did last year too. With is that they introduce so many things and they linger on things just enough that you're trying to figure out: is this something I should pay attention to? Is this something that's going to come back? Is this something that we should know about? Let's look into it. And 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 a fair amount of times, it doesn't amount to anything, or or it just could be something that's thrown in for artifice or for for for. kind of beauty's sake for the sake of the the sake of the phrase or whatever yeah oh yeah i mean sometimes you just want to say something and you're like how can i and get that's that a in that's there? a credit to 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 no holly yeah i feel like we should have an ad break let's do it so once again this season fargo brewing has stepped up and uh is an incredible sponsor to us they're they're fantastic guys um who brew fantastic beer in fantastic fargo north dakota but you don't have to just drink their beer in Fargo. They are all over the place. They are distributed all over North Dakota. They're in Minnesota. They're in South Dakota, too. So you can pick that up in Sioux Falls if you so choose. Yeah, you know, all over the place. <laughs> in the Midwest, that's pretty much everywhere, man. <laughs> that is a lot of land area. But but they, they, Fargo Brewing is sponsoring us again, along with we are promoting their Wood Chipper IPA, which, yes, like as in Wood Chipper, like as in Fargo. That's right. And... It is a fantastic IPA, and I mean, I just keep saying that it's, last year, you know, we kept telling you about its velvety body and its deep, rich everything, but here's the deal. I I can't say that anymore this season. Here's what I'm going to say. It's just, it's bananas. It's good. It's bonkers. Just get, (laughs) go get some and try it. I don't have to talk to you about all those deep words. It's just fucking good. There, I used an F-bomb in Fargo Brewing's (laughs) sponsor read, but- Here's the deal. If you want to, if you want to, you know, let them know, because we, we haven't set up any specials with them because they have t-shirts and some things, and we're going to talk to them about seeing what we can do to maybe get some of those for you guys. But you want to help us know that you're listening, just go to FargoBrewing.com. Let's see if we can put like a nice spike in their web traffic, because do they run any analytics? Do you know, Sharpie? Yep. Boom. So let's just see. Let's, as you listen to this, let's give them a, a hefty boost. They'll have like tens of hundreds of visitors today. No, I'm just kidding. They'll have a lot all the time. Because people are checking out their tap room hours and everything they have going on. And not to mention, as we said last week, um, congrats to them, though, for winning uh, a bronze at the Great American Beer Festival in Colorado this year. That's right. So I, I'm not joking. They're a great sponsor. They do really make great beer. We really do drink it in quantities that our mothers don't want to know about. But 
go check out fargobrewing.com. If you're in Fargo or in the area, stop by their tap room. It's open. Um, all, all, it's all online at fargobrewing.com. Go check it out. Go there, buy a t-shirt, support local beer and craft brewing. Tell them Fargo Talks, Fargo sent you. Maybe you'll get a deal. Maybe you yeah. won't. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> they might They might just slap you in the face. <laughs> That's how it goes around here. That's right. So, okay, we got to get back. So we finally, speaking of beer, we're at the Legion, eh? Yes, it appears meeting, we are at the Legion. Carl Weathers and Sharpie and I's keen eye to stare at details instead of listening to the dialogue sometimes finds that we had the conversation, well, was there Miller Lite yet? And I'm like, nope, that's 73. We're good with that. And then <laughs> the, I, uh, there was definitely I Sharpie, hams. I said, yeah, Sharpie, is that a hams? And a little bit of pausing. Yep, that's a hams. And I'm, I'm almost positive that Lou was drinking a Kugels original, Liney's original lager. Um, with the red label. So with the... Yeah, with the red label on top, white label on the lower with the, the red logo through the middle, which is one, was one of my go-to beers in college outside of Guinness. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, not as good as Fargo Brewing, because <laughs> they didn't exist yet. They and didn't. What, do, what do beers come in? Six packs? Mm. You guys, that, you guys oh, nice, nice. Right, didn't right, even, right? Didn't yeah. even think yeah. about that. Yeah. Okay, so now that you're going to say that, John, <laughs> smartass, feel free to rewatch that. And as the guy oh. is reading off bingo, oh. almost down one entire row, oh. all the numbers oh. in, I think, the I row have sixes in them. But doesn't I, I mean, shut up, Sharpie. <laughs> Mind blown. Oh, really G, we G would be the 60s, I believe. Yeah, whatever. Just go watch Isn't it. Isn't it weird that all the G's have sixes in them? Shut up. <laughs> I'm just going to play this up now. Okay. Either way, we meet so, Carl Weathers, conspiracy theorist. Sharpie, well, what do you get back th- to the name Carl think? Weathers. I mean, how do you come up with the name Carl Weathers? You can't avoid that name and, 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 and not think Apollo Creed, Rocky. I mean, right. Carl, right. How do you, you can think Carl what? Johnson, Carl anything, Carl Weathers? Carl with a K, I guess. I kept waiting when I first saw the name Carl Weathers, but I didn't know what type of character it was going to be. I was like, please tell me he's the local weatherman. <laughs> like like he's he's operating under a different name. Yeah, it's like his, it's his, his TV, made-for-TV name. But they, they, they really set the tone here, don't you think, uh, Sharpie, about the current state or did I mean did you feel that way too John that they're they're really setting the the political and economic climate as, and distrust as much as things get spelled out that is that is kind of the the, the most the reve- most revealing part of the show that that we're you're talking about that and that I think uh, no Holly has alluded to or talked to about before is that kind of the use of Ronald Reagan and and this this the the tone in the in the late 70s definitely yeah. which is also I can't. I apologize for not remembering where I read uh, a quick thing because I didn't have as much time to read today as I wanted. But uh, is also setting the tone for small town America versus big industrial, everything and consumerism, and and we're we're eventually going to set the tone for a big crime syndicate versus local crime syndicate. That's right. But uh, I think Sharpie, you'd uh, do you want to say anything about it? you'd picked out a clip here? We're gonna play. Well, first of all, I just think that, uh, and, and that 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 oh, that clip will get into something deep and maybe a little in left field. But I feel like Carl Weathers is sort of playing the, um, 
narrator kind of he's sort of like a narrative character but he's in the the show you know what i mean he's it's the chorus yes exactly i think that that he kind of kind of spells it out and like now we're in this year now we're we're experiencing these things yeah i think he serves that these are the things we're gonna see these are the things to come things are not what you expected he's that voice doesn't he remind you a bit though of the john goodman character though in uh in big lebowski yeah sure little oh yeah i never even I didn't piece that one together. And because then, he's because also the other, very the other, conspiracy theory kind of. And then the other character that's there is a total dimwit. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Nice catch. I like that. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so, so in that show. in that exact scene in Fargo or in uh, Big Lebowski, uh, I was kind of drawn to that scene when when in the background of that when um, they're they're going over conspiracy theories and they're going over like. Um, the score, you know, market seven, Donnie, or whatever, um, or market a spare, or whatever. Market says. zero. Market zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, Over the line. <laughs> um, and in the background, you see George Bush, and he's talking about how this aggression will not stand. Um, well, Noah, in some interviews, Noah Hawley was quoted at, was quoted many times as quoting ronald reagan and him saying it's not complicated we are americans we can get through this and this may be a stretch but when lou salverson is talking to carl he specifically says you know it's not complex there's nothing complex about it and i wasn't sure if that was like sort of a tie back to the big lebowski where the character references something the president or future president says i don't know maybe that's a stretch subconscious you said you said you it's interesting that you said complex as opposed to complex. So, I mean, I think because they had just been talking about the, the, right. the military industrial complex. And that's where yeah. this so, comes I mean, from. Yeah. Okay. Balls. <laughs> Tell this dipshit pissant about Ike's farewell address. You mean the military industrial complex? See? He knows. Of course, we've been to war. Nothing complex about it. Yeah. So I don't know. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and then we did see the um I there are some some Ronald Reagan posters in the background, which I also thought was interesting seeing as uh Reagan didn't announce his unless they're setting the tone a tone for it, obviously, and it doesn't have to be perfectly historical context, because this is a true story. Um but Reagan I don't think actually launched his campaign until the November, right? Yeah, a year ahead, November of 79. So it happens in this year. So what I can't figure out is, are we at the end of 79 or the beginning? I keep trying to find a calendar somewhere um, and whatnot. But I mean, it, yeah, I, we have to figure out how to introduce Bruce Campbell. Right. Which, when, yeah, exactly. He doesn't have a speaking role in this first in this first episode, but... We just keep alluding to him. Yeah, but I mean, not not even overtly. Like that's a good catch. I did not catch that the first time around. The posters in the background. Yeah. Well, I just that's that's <laughs> maybe it's the downfall of when we do this show. Sometimes Sharpie catches like certain other things, and I'm like staring at random things. <laughs> and so the posters are there, but uh, we also, you know, com- continuing with what Sharpie had pulled up with this. I'm just going to play one more part of this clip from this same same scene here. Minnesota, Carl. Not a presidential assassination. Oh, sure. That's how it starts, with something small. Like a break-in at the Watergate Hotel. But just watch. 
This thing's only getting bigger. G53. <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna pause real quick and point out it's 10, 26, 36, 60, 61. I don't know. And then there's a 16 in there. Lots of stuff. All Whatever. Right, all right. All right. Oh God, I can't stop. Hey, but I think this line is also about the story that we're about to see. Of course. Like we think we we're, you think you're seeing something. This is it's gonna get bigger. There's so much gonna happen. This is gonna get deep. And exciting. The foreshadowing. And it's yeah. I think it's not even foreshadowing. It's no, really it's not. He, it's just. It's and I think this maybe this ties very directly to. Wait, was it you or Sharpie that said that he's almost he's a little bit of the narrator? That's right. The chorus, I would say, the yeah, Greek the, chorus, kind of, kind yeah. of pushing stuff along. But we'll see. We'll see how long. You yeah. Know, if if he is if is is he that main of a character that recurs from from right. time to time and how they use him. So. so uh, real briefly, we have talked about Bruce Campbell playing uh, Ronald Reagan, but did you guys know that um, Bruce Campbell plays a lot of sort of minor characters in Coen Brothers movies, including the, the fact that he was in Fargo on the soap opera that uh, is playing on the TV in the cabin that Steve Buscemi's character is in when they're out in the woods right before his demise? Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, he's, Tell us more fact, boy. <laughs> he was also in The Lady Killers. Um, did and? you guys see that? No, I didn't see that. I didn't see that version, no. Um, and Hudsucker Proxy, one of my favorite movies of all time. I think in Lady Killers there was also a Waffle Hut. Was there? I think they went to a Waffle Hut. Maybe. I think so. I saw that in one of the stories that I read today. Bill, check the facts. Well, I mean, Waffle Huts are a real place, though. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. What? Yeah. You mean I, aside from Waffle House? Pancakes House. No, no Waffle, Waffle House, House is sharp, the real sharp, place. It's a southern, yeah. Waffle oh, House is know. a real southern. Yes, there are places. At least if you Google Waffle Hut, you'll see it. Although Waffle Hut, the signs look a lot like Waffle House. <laughs> I saw a thing on Reddit where somebody, somebody was arguing about whether or not there was a Waffle Hut in Laverne. And somebody wrote and said well, they they cleared it up on Reddit. Somebody wrote the Chamber of Commerce in Laverne <laughs> to clarify whether or not there was a Waffle Hut. But they somehow wrote back with something to the effect of, "Well, there was this here, and it was the Corner Diner, and at that time they probably were like debuting waffles and like Belgian waffles and stuff." Facts. Straight Get into Laverne. it. Boom. Yeah. Do did, did you want to tell us the rest of your? Uh, Bruce Campbell tidbits? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they're that interesting, but uh, he was in Spider-Man with Kirsten Dunst, so they're probably good pals, good buddy old pals. The, f- the, the first one, time. you know, the shitty one. The um, sh- <laughs> actually, that's the only one I saw. And then <laughs> I stopped with the Spider-Man movies. And you're done. And fit and scene. Um, and then he was also in an Old Spice commercial, and I did pull that clip, but just because I thought it was funny... Uh, in lieu of him playing a political character, this Old Spice commercial is something that sounds exactly like a politician. Even though they're not Ooh. related whatsoever, I just thought it was funny. You can play it if you want. It's not relevant. I don't have it pulled okay, up. Okay, it's not relevant well, to the, <laughs> it's not relevant to the story. That. We can move along. Uh, maybe I'll see if we can put it in the show. If you're curious, part. look up Bruce Campbell's Old Spice commercial. It's kind of funny. If you're Bru- Bruce curious. If you're Bruce curious. If you're Bruce curious. Yeah. <laughs> Bru- Bru- Bruce-erous. So, br- b- 
The Bloomquist home. Blomquist. Blomquist. The Bloom. The Brooks. So we finally meet Peggy Nuts. No- <laughs> we got to stop calling her Peggy Num Nuts. I think that's her name, right? <laughs> no, her name is Peggy Blomquist. Um, we meet her in her kitchen, which is straight out, straight out of the seventies. Epically awesome, and um. She's rocking everything. She's got all the stuff. She's got all the tchotchkes on the the walls and everything she needs. I just think she's a she's a real gem. She's got the menu. Yeah, she does. She's got the recipe cards too, I bet. Uh, probably. I don't know if she would get uh, if she'd get uh, exotic enough to try a souffle. I think she's going to stick with the hamburger helper she, and tater yeah. tots. I bet she even uh I bet she gets a little outside of her comfort zone and goes to the tuna helper every once in a while. That would be that would be the extent. That would <laughs> well, be living on the edge. The thing I I thought about when I watched uh, that this scene though, just to get all uh, thinky about it for a minute, was that he wanted to move those magazines, and they're like in his chair, and whatever's in those magazines is replacing him. It's what she. It's something in there is is a world that she wants beyond what ed and his butcher shop can give her and therefore i mean because i kept thinking she's like oh i just got those all organized and i'm like well how un-, you know they're so important to her that he literally can't just pick the stack up and move it so he can like plant his ass in a chair well doesn't she talk about too about wanting to that she's all signed up for a seminar oh yeah she is yes this i think or that, that comes a little we can we can mix this up here she's she's going we so we see that then we'll we'll skip ahead here we just um uh, we cut to the Salverson house, and uh, again, and he's drinking milk out of the carton. Also, I think it, it, the cartoon has changed on the fridge, Sharp, because it's a cat and mouse, I think, this time. Is what I thought I noticed. I feel like I should roll ahead in the video. I know I've got sitting here. Or maybe it's still the pink, the sheep with the orange jacket on. Nope, it's a, there's, a, there's a cat and a mouse, but the cat, now that I look at it, is orange. And it has a collar with a six on it. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Either way, either way, there's a cat and mouse uh, crayon, like very well colored in. But um, and Molly makes her dad an ashtray. But we were trying to we were trying to figure out does she smoke? Did he lose smoke in the other season? But I can't remember. I don't think he did. Probably not when his wife's got cancer. I don't think you can smoke on TV at all. No, never. Mad Men never happened. No, never. <laughs> but coming full circle to John, uh, Peggy's going to a Life Spring conference, and uh, I, yeah, this is what I do. This is a great illustration look, of her character, I think, and what we're about to. Yes, run I, I into. think so. And what what we're about to learn is that Wellspring is this was this a private for profit New Age human potential company. Feel free. This is just all off Wikipedia, but. Um, they were very similar to this thing called EST, like EST, all lowercase. Which, at the minute I saw that, I was like, "Holy crap!" That's they uh, one of the one of the characters in the Americans, also on FX uh, in in the eighties, similar time frame, early eighties, is uh, going to EST, and they're very very similar. But it was basically, it's all a bunch of hooey. But the bottom line is that she's trying to find some sort of extension and way for herself to to be something else and connect with people differently than she's going to get with Ed. So she's, she's got all these things going on. Her current situation is she's unfulfilled, right? We're, we're setting this up that she wants more and she wants more than well, she thinks that 
her husband could give her. She doesn't even want to be filled with Ed's baby. <laughs> well. I think the, the character development for Peggy is definitely the most interesting to me uh, right now. It is being laid on super thick. Um, I think more so than any other character. Right. And she's clearly going to be a major, a major runner in this cast. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention was I'm a little worried she's she's not all together, and I don't just mean numb nuts way. Um, and if you read the Wikipedia entry, <clears throat> LifeSpring eventually got sued by a bunch of people, and they had at least 30 lawsuits that sought to hold LifeSpring responsible for their participants' deaths or their mental damages. Uh, the company paid to settle some of those suits before trial and, and, and other, a few other decisions. They lost uh, the jury decision. but So I don't think she's... I think she's got a lot that's going to happen, but I don't think it's all... It, there's some mixed up pieces upside in that girl's head. She's paving some roads to a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, and she also seems really kind of desperate, as we find out. Yep. Yes. She's, uh, she's, she's really... She wants to ignore what's actually happening around her. Exactly. And wants to focus on the future. Yep. Yeah. So Peggy, there's the there's the noise in the garage. We don't have to go to. Everybody saw and knows what happens. But um, it, and it was a great it was a great scene. I think you know with the flashlight and uh, sounding like a deer. And he's like, oh geez, you didn't uh, not dead. But uh, when they kill Rye, uh, this is where I brought up the earlier we played you the clip when she hits Rye with the car and drives away. There's that ding, ding, and um, when when they kill Rye and then nothing, when that happens, there's no dinging. But the minute Peggy comes into the scene and can, starts talking about, well, we've got to do this. It, the ding clean comes it up. back. The ding comes back. And I feel like it's going to keep happening the same way. Lauren Malvo had some, had, had very specific stuff that continually happened in the background of his scenes. And I think it's going to be any time that she's either making a poor decision or she's making a decision that's just contrary to like good morals. So kind of be her audible cue. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So, um, and then you know, whatever. There's cut to that scene where they show us what actually happens, and you know, back to the V-shaped lights for visitors. And we do get and, confirmation. Uh, um, they specifically oh, yeah. show yeah, right. Rise uh, feet on the hood of the car, and they specifically show that he's missing his shoe. So that's right. not like a an oh in theory kind of thing. That's probably his shoe. It's definitely his shoe. And I think on the way out to the garage, uh, I've noticed there was a like a or did you did you confirm it with me here that there's like a poster on the wall going out to the garage and it's California something Hollywood Beach. And when it comes, and it, yeah, and when, no, and then when it comes back into the house and they show us she's in front of a mirror, then there's the Hollywood Beach thing too. So she's she's dreaming of a warmer thing, some new age stuff that she's somehow getting involved in and wanting to better herself. So there, I don't think at this current point Ed is really part of her life. But who is life. in California in 1979? Ronald Reagan. Governor. Yep. Well, he wasn't anymore. Oh, is he? Okay. He was not governor at all. Fair enough. Yeah, I nerded it out. Nerded out. You do your research, man. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to that. So that's that's well that's what Sharpie and I were talking about. We were trying to figure out how Ronald Reagan is tying into this if if he had already not continued on. He didn't continue on with a third um term in office and he got beat out by then and not beat out somebody just seceded him in office and then then he made a run against did I say Gerald Ford earlier and didn't win? Is that how um I wasn't born at this point or I was very little, so I don't remember. Either way, whatever. So 
But you're right. Yes, bedtime for Bonzo, Ronald Reagan, California, who was also, speaking of conspiracy theories, don't think this matters. Just going to tell you, Ronald Reagan was the... Was 66 the, years old? Was No, he was the, he was the president uh, at one time and on the board of directors of SAG. Yes. And during uh, a, a rough time, he was ratting out people who he thought were communist sympathizers, speaking of the, the industrial complex and war and the machine. So is this Ronald the current liberal Hollywood's way of getting back at him? I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out. Economy, man. Uh, so we confirmed the shoe thing, and um, oh, I also, oh God, I can't stop myself. So Sharpie and I oh. both noted that Lou staring out the window as we cut back to the Solverson residence that he's tying knots, right? That's correct. And he's got like a like a stretch of rope, and he goes to put it into the bedside stand. So there's something, and we were trying to remember if he was tying knots in that. But the only thing we, what was it? You figured the knots were. The closest thing that I remember seeing in season one, and you do too. Was- um, just a flash or a tie back to the Keith Carradine version of Lou Salverson. Yeah, and but I mean, he's a fisherman; he's tying lines, and but um, yeah. So they lay in bed and they say whatever, whatever, and then eventually he says all the you know, good night, Mister Sol- Mrs. Salverson, good night, whatever. And uh, so I he said the all the ships at sea thing, which made me think about the knots he had just been tying, and I looked it up, and that's actually a reference to Walter Winchell an American newspaper and radio gossip commentator, um, and it was a part of his nightly address when he would start his radio show. But for whatever it's worth, Walter Winchell had an incredibly tragic life. <laughs> like, everybody around him died or went bonkers or something. So, and you know, that's pretty Cohen-esque. Sadness. <laughs> Sadness for the win. <laughs> and to all ships at sea. So... Which is what Adam Curry says on his podcast, too. Adam Curry, oh, the inventor that? of podcasting. Mm, thanks, Adam. <laughs> Adam I Curry, the MTV DJ? That's correct. Oh, VJ? Yes. He is one of the earliest and most successful long-running podcasters in the history of podcasting. I thought that would have been Al Gore's territory. Yeah, he, no. He invented the he term. Invented the, he invented term. the lockbox internet. So. Um, Finally. Here we go. We get to meet my soft spot guy. Really? And who, and who do is tell. Who do you, <laughs> don't leave us hanging. Sharpie, who do, you, who, do you think, who do you think I'm talking about? Billy's got a big old Billy Boner over there, I think. Mm. Milo Stavros, Stavros Milos? <laughs> oh, no, definitely not that guy. Brad Garrett, Garrett, Brad. Brad. Garrett. <laughs> I love Brad Garrett. I think Brad Garrett's awesome. Yeah, you've got a Billy Boner over Brad Garrett, all right. Yeah, I'm just saying. There's, there's, I, the, the, guy's, the guy has timing. I is that what it is? I like. I, think <laughs> I do. And he he's just, not that I, one I minute his, man. I love his deadpan. His face. It's just dopey dogish. It's so great. But well, turns Tell out there more. is crime. There is crime beyond the Fargo syndicate. Yeah. And that, that, you know, I didn't put that together. That was the, the Fargo syndicate that they're the, the family, the Gerhard family is the Fargo syndicate. So yes. for people who watched the first season and like myself and, we're very curious about this Fargo syndicate. That's that's what it is. It's the Gerhards. It's the Gerhards. Well, what I think so so here's a couple questions now that I'm thinking about that. So, you know, right now we catch up with the Gerhards and they're like the family farm cottage industry <laughs> industry thing and Brad Garrett's in Kansas City given basically their 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 old seventy nine version of a PowerPoint slide presentation. Which and, is you know, very professional and I mean, I mean it looks yeah. like he's giving a presentation to like shareholders. 
You know, it's like there's like graphics, there's a logo for the the proposal, you know, the the takeover project or whatever they're calling it, the expansion, <laughs> the can't the Fargo expansion. Yeah. They knew we were a city on the grow even back then. <laughs> but so here's here's my interesting random thought. <laughs> is that is that um the Fargo Crime Syndicate, did they maybe hold it off? Because if you think about the Fargo Crime Syndicate from season one, they were in a really big, nice office building. And how many people died in that? In that, uh, like, 20, like 66, I think. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Or 16? It was like 22 or something. Oh, like but what's 22 times 3? Ah, 66. That's what it is. 22 right. times 3 because 3... Is how Magic many Gearhearts there are, Gearheart boys. Okay, True. whatever, whatever. Yes. Fine, I walked into this shit. I'll deal with it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and we also get to hear the uh, voice of um, oh, Adam Arkin, I think. Isn't that his voice? Giving the very, um, <laughs> like, approved. In the, in the shadow apocalypse now, with the big glasses, like he was just on a, like on Casino. Joe Pesci was big glasses. So I don't know. I think, and so now we know there's, there's some uh, stuff coming on down. It's going to happen. Um, while we're uh, talking about the Gerhards real quick, I did read a couple of things that I thought were kind of interesting. And this is going to tie back to the Blumquist um, real briefly, but I'm wondering if we're going to see some conflict between Dodd Gerhardt and Ed Blomquist, um, specifically because of the the parallel descriptions they 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 were kind of depicting of both the characters regarding the placement at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where Ed and his Ed's Ed succumbs to the not having his chair at the table due to uh, Peggy's Peggy Numbnuts's magazines. Right. Whereas Dodd, contrary to Ed, so Ed's kind of just like a very passive guy. He just succumbs to that. He just gives up. Whereas right. Dodd, when he walks into the house and his brother is sitting at the table in his chair, basically forces him out of it so he can sit in that one spot, despite the fact that there are you know two other places at the table or one other place or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so that's sort of kind of like a, an interesting... Um, description of each character to use that chair as an example huh. so i wonder if we'll yeah, see and some conflict thing. i guess i think about it at the blomquist residence there was also other chairs at that table too yep. but more importantly that's my chair so hey before we begin our wrap-up here we have to thank our second sponsor that helps bring you this podcast and that is audible.com if you don't know what audible is you and, you, and you're listening to a podcast that seems almost impossible but i'm going to tell you anyway so you got to go to audi yeah it's audible.com so here's the deal you you can go to audibletrial.com slash fargo talks fargo right and if you go there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you sign up for that free 30-day trial, you get a free audiobook download. So that's the deal. For listeners of Fargo Talks Fargo, Audible is offering that to you. So go to audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo, sign up for the free trial, get the free book. You get to keep the book as long as you want. You don't have to keep, you know, if you're like, hey, I don't dig it, you still get to keep the book. The book doesn't disappear. They, no, somebody from Audible doesn't show up knock on your door and take it back. But 
I still think you should check it out because it's actually one of the best things happened to me for in a long time because I, I usually tend to like kind of zone out or fall asleep if I'm reading too much. And um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And when I do that, this this is just an extension of that for me with reading. And this is why I really like doing it. I can do it while I'm driving in the car or commuting or going for a walk or just doing housework around around the place and any kind of thing like that. I love listening to books. And so last week I, I recommended The Martian by Andy Weir. And this week I'm going to throw it to Sharpie and he's going to recommend a book to you. So you should go sign up for it. If you don't already have it, go check it out and do it. If you do already have it, hey, maybe go check out this book uh, that Sharpie is about to recommend. So what is your audible pick this week going to be? My audible pick this week is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Oh boy. Have you guys read? Yes, because wait, wasn't it you that told me to read it? Because I Hell told yeah. you to read The Martian. Was this our conversation at the bar? Like, yes, it was. Or, oh my God, no, this was last winter. Could have been. We don't know. I think that, yeah, because I drank a bunch and then I walked home from the bar like six miles. Because <laughs> I, I, A, I didn't think I needed to drive. <laughs> and B, because I just couldn't put down The Martian. And yeah, because you drove home and you said, oh my God, I started Ready Player One. That's right. Yes, I forgot. That is the conversation. Wow. Ready Player okay. One is fantastic. It's gripping. It's a science fiction novel in this sort of dystopian future where basically everybody's living their lives through virtual reality um, because that's a big thing and, and the world is crumbling and the only way to get happiness is to live through this virtual reality and it's a bunch of adventures through this virtual world. Um, it has a It is chock full of 80s references. So if you are an 80s kid... Um, if you're into video games and 80s movies and things like that, I mean, you'll be all over this book. It is so fun. So I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a quick listen by Audible.com, so check it out. That is my pick of the week, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. I will, I will wholeheartedly second that uh, pick because I will also say this, that um, somewhere shortly after you made the recommendation to me, I believe is when Steven Spielberg optioned uh, the rights to that movie. Yes, and I'm not sure where that's standing right now because the follow-up, although not related to the story, but Ernest Klein's follow-up after that movie. Or, Don't say it. What if it's a recommendation? Okay. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. You're going to talk about it Armada? It will be a recommendation. Uh, it was Armada, and I've heard that Steven Spielberg has secured the rights to that as well, so I'm not sure mm. which one he's going to go through with. Hopefully both. Did you already? Did you already do Armada? I did. Me too. John? Neither of these books for John. Neither. No. But hey, so also the other thing is, is if you if you like Will Wheaton, uh, he is the narrator for Ready Player One. I'm actually going to play a little clip. Let's see it. Played all of my favorite news and entertainment vid feeds. Among these was my own channel, Parzival TV, broadcasting obscure eclectic crap, 24-7, 365. Earlier that year, GSS had added a new feature to every Oasis user's account. The POV. Personal. So boom, there you have it. I don't want to play too much because I don't know if we're actually okay to be doing that. But I don't know why you wouldn't because it's so good. And there's a lot of snarky, witty comments. And uh, Will Wheaton does a fantastic job doing that. So so our thanks to Audible.com for sponsoring that. So if you want to check that out again, go to Audible Trial, A-U-D-I-B. L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash Fargo Talks Fargo and sign up. And when you do that, you help us out the same way we want you to also go check out FargoBrewing.com. So thank you so much for listening to those ads or 
and, and and that's what helps make this show possible. So Sharpie, coming into the wrap up, John, what do you guys? So we, we we there's this looming takeover happening. What what John? What do you think is going to happen? Like what do you think is coming next week? You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, we've seen we've seen the trailers for what's coming up, and I think that there's a lot of intriguing things there. Again, you see this shot where uh, somebody's approaching Ted Danson on the porch. Which reminds me of in season one, yeah. where the adult uh, uh, Lou Solverson is on the porch waiting for evil to come. Oh yeah, that's right. And 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 again, you know, I, I but the, the the thing that that what Sharpie brought up earlier, the idea of the seats at the table, really drove home to me. So far, everybody we've seen is family, and what we're seeing is the interconnectivity of everybody. Or rather, not the interconnectivity, but the, nobody is a lone wolf in this one. Nobody is out there on their own. Everybody has a family structure. This is a very family. I don't want to say this is a family <laughs> show, family oriented, <laughs> but everybody, all the characters are are oh. driven in part by family so far. I think that's a really interesting yeah. angle that we're going to see. That's really interesting, yeah, because in the in the prior season, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I said, Psst, I love you. We just need to train people to into thinking that every time they hear that, to think of Fargo Brewing. Mm. Pop a top. Um, that's interesting because, yeah, in last season we had Lester, and Lester was kind of a lone wolf, and, and Lauren Malvo was a lone wolf. Um, Lester started with a family, and we kind of know how that ended up, but we did have a lot it. of lone wolves, I guess, in the, in the, in the prior season, and I think you're, you, you're really nailing that theme, John. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that uh, that thing. So maybe maybe it's the crime syndicate from Kansas City coming in that ruins all that family. Yeah. You know. Well, hey, no, wait, 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 wait. Maybe that ties. Maybe that has something to do with tying back to the overall kind of idea that I was talking about about small town togetherness, small town support, um, midwestern values, and that when these big things come in, the, one of the first things to break down is family values and and your core desire to support local people well and and this is i think really reaching but family values of course certainly was something that ronald reagan uh really championed and then that, that term didn't even become until uh what was a corn tour <laughs> before there was a corn tour i believe uh ronald reagan really kind of gave rise to that yeah i don't know i i'll, I'll say this i'm i'm incredibly optimistic that this this season is going to be better than last. And I thought last season was fantastic. And I think what's really remarkable too, is that they did all this in uh, an hour last year. It was a uh, 90 minutes, right? To open. I think it might've been. Yeah. And, and compared to personally compared to the walking dead this year, which opened new within a bloated 90 minutes. I, I think this was a very well packed 60 minutes. I, I think it, uh, it tells very foretells very well. That uh, this is a very uh, this will be a season definitely to watch. Sharpie, how do you feel? I mean, that all sounds good to me. I think um, as far as predictions for next episode, I think we're still a little bit early. I think we got a good body count so far. I don't think we necessarily have <laughs> to see a, a death or a murder of any sort next episode. I don't think we're. I don't think we've been introduced enough quite yet to to kill anybody off quite yet, but. So I won't be surprised if there are no deaths in, in the in the next episode, but I'm excited yeah. for it. I'm hoping that Chu comes back as soon as possible because I'm excited to start bringing all these all these paths 
I'm I'm excited for all these paths to start crossing each other. Um, yeah, the convergence of all that. Yeah, I think I still think I think Peggy is. That's the character I'm most interested to see, if it if it goes the way I think it's going to go. I think she's 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 a deeper well of like interesting to me, like where they take it because she's she's also the antithesis to the current values. Her of setup the her setup leaves her to be the most to gain or lose in that she's planning so much her life is not fulfilled now she wants more everybody wants more of course the all the gearhards want more her husband wants to run the butcher shop but i think that she will be the character you're right that has the most to gain or lose she will be the most fluctuating character yep. throughout i think that's the character we're going to latch on to for our our own emotional roller coaster a little bit i mean everybody's obviously going to be behind lou but we all we already know where lou's going to end up and we know where molly's going to end up we know Lou's gonna make it through things all right because we've seen him. We've we've seen him into the future, and and he raised, he he makes it out, and he raised a good daughter. We know Lou's gonna make the right uh, the right decisions. We know that uh, Ted Danson's character is gonna make the right decisions. I believe that uh, Ed Blomquist will make the right decisions. I think that that she's the she's the one character where you're really not sure. <sighs> Is she gonna? Is she gonna do something for herself, or is she gonna do the right? That's thing? correct. Holy shit! We didn't even talk nearly enough about Floyd. Floyd Gerhardt. Well, we didn't even talk about the fact that she's she's taking over a man's she's role. She's preparing the head to the family. She's <laughs> named. She's a boy named Sue. She's so many things, and, and so that's. We, and what we does your man the, Brad Garrett say about her? Oh God, that, he says line. something about she's tough, but you know, a girl. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so apologize to anyone. So don't 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 flame us up on that one. But I don't know. I think it'll be great. I look forward to coming back next week. I look forward to hopefully having John back on the show later in the season to see where he feels things have gone with this show um if everything plays out well next week we are going to uh, have joe riley on the show uh sharpie's buddy and uh, fellow co-host of grilling addiction and so i guess after, um, after with all that said you know uh thanks so much to john for coming on the yeah, show oh, sharpie's got one oh i just wanted to say hey john did you want to did you have anything you want to plug john lamb thanks for supporting us thanks for being on the show today john lamb is a writer for the forum which is the local newspaper uh in fargo is there anything you'd like to say more about that? No. Nope. All right. <laughs> Check out John's column. Thanks, thanks for inviting yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks Inf- for inviting me. Inforum.com, and you can see all the news going on here. There's all sorts of interesting things happen. So uh, I'm queuing this up. I don't know and, if I've got it at the right spot, Sharpie. Okay. Well, I just wanted to end this with a, a little tidbit here. The end credits play a, a little song from the Coen brothers. Oh, brother, Approved. where art thou? Um. Uh, didn't leave nobody but that go baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. I just want to say that that was Noah Hawley and Jeff Russo singing. Your mama's going away and your daddy's going to stay. Didn't leave nobody but the baby. Be. All right, Sharpie, until uh, next week. Go to sleep, you little baby. We'll see you then, right, brother? Go to sleep, you little baby. Everybody's gone in the cotton and the cone didn't leave nobody but